This episode is brought to you by Catan. This summer looks a bit different than most summers. We're staying at home for the most part, and we're finding ourselves looking for new activities to enjoy at home. Catan is a board game for three to four players, ages 10 and up, although younger kids can play with adult guidance. It is a great way to keep families engaged in off screens, even if it's just for a little while. And those opportunities are hard to come by. And it's really easy to pick up. Get Catan at CatanShop.com slash mom. Listeners of our podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code mom at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. podcast this is molly and i'm Kristen. hey listeners if you guys ever read our blog how to stuff which you should then you may notice that Kristen and i have sort of a little ongoing competition which is to mention the show mad men as many times as possible yes it, it frequently if you'll read my post one day that features some some don draper you know reference then Kristen will do it the next day as well yeah it's not really just mentioning mad men it's specifically mentioning don draper the lead character in mad men slash mine and molly's uh could i say dream crush yeah, yeah. i mean i think we're both fairly obsessed with this show yeah it's a great show if you don't watch it some people say it's just sort of a a good looking soap opera though it, I mean, it kind of is. It definitely has some soap opera elements, but you know what? Um, I will, I, I'm fine with that if I get to watch John Hamm on screen in well-fitting suits for 40 minutes. Right. And so I was telling, uh, one of my good friends about my dream crush, as Kristen put it, on Don Draper. And, uh, she started watching the show and she was like, I just cannot watch this show because that guy makes me so mad. He cheats on his wife all the time. He's not a good guy. I'm just so sick of watching him fool around. And I don't know if it's just, I don't know, I can put that aside because I'm willing to think that maybe if I had been around during that time period, I would have had an affair with Don Draper. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't bother me as much. But you can't deny that adultery is everywhere. Oh, yeah. These days, I mean, we got the Tiger Woods scandal. We have this, uh, all this new kerfuffle about John Edwards, John Elizabeth Edwards. It's just, everybody's cheating. Everybody's cheating. Cheating hearts. Um, So we thought we'd talk about adultery. Because Mad Men's got to be good for something, and this lets us both get a point in the competition for talking about it. Well, and I think Mad Men's a good place to start with this because it does sort of play on this stereotype of uh, men and women sort of cheating for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, spoiler alert, I guess a little bit. You know, Don has sex with a lot of women mm-hmm. who are not his wife in the show, and it seems like for the most part he rarely gets emotionally attached to them at all. Mm-hmm. In cases where it's portrayed from the other end where women are cheating, there does seem to be um, a bit more romantic attachment in their minds. Right. They're looking for something that's missing from their 1950s, only perfect from the outside marriage. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's sort of the stereotype that we've been led to believe that men will cheat because they just have to have sex with anything that moves, to put it frankly. And women are always going to be looking for, you know, that dream attachment, that dream relationship, the romance, the romance must never end. Yeah. Um, but 
this and this also goes back to uh, an earlier episode entitled "Why Does the Sizzle Fizzle?" But monogamy in general is not exactly in our biological natures. As you point out in this article that you wrote, Molly, for How Stuff Works, um, there are very few completely sexually monogamous species, um, one of which is a flatworm that fuses to its partner until its death. Yeah, basically a parasite. Yeah. That's the only thing they can think of that's completely monogamous. Yeah. Um, and even in animal species that get together like humans do to raise their young together, um, so-called social monogamy, sexual monogamy is usually not part of the deal. They'll do genetic testing on, let's say, baby birds, and they'll find that one male bird is stuck raising a brood that 10 to 30% of is not his. Yeah. So if you look at it from just monogamy in nature, we're not built for it. However, in the U.S., adultery and cheating in general is a huge social taboo, and it's become even more taboo in recent years. Um, this is according to the General Social Survey. In the 70s, 63% of men and 73% of women believed that marital infidelity was always wrong. In the 2000s, however, that is up to 78% of men and 84% of women, which is pretty, which is a pretty big jump. Right. And, you know, they did a survey where they ranked um, things they found morally abhorrent. Mm-hmm. And um, adultery ranked more morally disturbing than polygamy and human cloning. Whoa. So clearly this is something, adultery is just something that almost everyone in the U.S. has a problem with. And yet um, it happens. I mean, look at Tiger Woods. It obviously happens. It does happen. And the statistics that you point out um, shows that it, it happens a lot. Yeah, give, this was probably the most depressing article I've ever written for HowStuffWorks.com, and I've written about things like death and disease. But basically, um, you, it's hard to get good statistics on this because, obviously, it's not something you really want to admit. Yeah, just tell a stranger, well, yes, I have committed adultery. And um, it's also hard to tell what is adultery. I'm sure everyone goes back to the Bill Clinton moment where he goes, oh, it depends how you define sexual relations. And uh, that's the problem today. Like, if you're having sort of an emotional affair online, is yeah. that considered cheating? Um, if you just kiss someone, is that infidelity? Is it sex? Which is worse? Yeah. So it's it's um, very hard to get people to admit what they actually did. But if it, if we're talking about just sex, then um, the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy thinks that 15% of wives and 25% of husbands have had sex with someone who is not their spouse. And actually, if you look at those numbers of people who think it's always wrong... 78% of men think it's always wrong and 84% of women. And then there's that other 25 and 15% roughly ah. adds up to about a hundred. Interesting point, Molly. So we've got all these people, um, running around on their significant others, spouses specifically. Cause I guess this article really has to do with marital infidelity. Well, that's mainly what people have studied. Again, it's just really hard to study. Sometimes they'll do studies where they get a bunch of college students together and they'll say, you know, which would be worse if this happened or this happened. But by and large, right now they've studied heterosexual relationships between married people. And, uh, when we look into the reasons of why men and women cheat, it, it usually goes back to, um, this sort of kind of evolutionarily biology idea that women are, you know, seeking out, you know, kind of a quality soulmate who will provide resources for her offspring, whereas men just want to spread their seed as far and wide as humanly possible. But the interesting thing is you found that, um, according to this researcher, Gary Newman, uh, 92% of cheating men say that it's not just about the sex. It's about feeling, I guess, underappreciated by their spouses. 
And in addition to that, 88% of men claim that uh, the person they're cheating on was not as attractive as their wife. Now, here's the thing. When I saw these statistics, I, I tried to bear in mind that the person they're telling this to is a marriage counselor. That's Gary Newman's primary role. So, like, let's say you're a marriage counseling and you're a husband and a wife. It probably, um, if you're trying to keep your marriage together, probably serves your case a little bit better to say, I was underappreciated and she wasn't as good looking as you. Yeah. So I don't know if it's just um, a, a rise in sensitive males and we just had that alpha male thing kind of wrong all along or if these are people who are legitimately trying to keep their marriage together or if that's really why they cheat, if they really do feel underappreciated. And um, I think that, you know, it's probably untrue that women, you know, must be in love to have sex. I think a, a woman can just as easily go out and have it be just about the sex and not because she feels unfulfilled. But that's that's not as well studied. Yeah. Well, let's also let's also not get too ahead of ourselves. You know, if he's feeling supposedly underappreciated, then you would assume that maybe um, their marriage is just kind of on rocky ground at that point. You know, if someone's looking for an out. Domestic what, bliss is gone. That's what Dr. Laura said. That's what Dr. Laura said. Uh, maybe we shouldn't always listen to Dr. Laura. Side note. Um but she said, I mean, if you don't make your man feel like a superhero stud, if you're not providing for him emotionally, then can you blame him if he goes to a high class hooker? She said this in relationship to the Elliot Spitzer case. Ah. So, um, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Now, she later backed off and said, if the man is narcissistic, um, then all bets are off. <laughs> Good side note, Dr. Laura. Thanks, Dr. Laura. Well, the interesting thing is, though, the how you define your marriage, your marital happiness, whether or not you're pretty happy, very happy, whatever, uh, isn't necessarily going to safeguard your, I guess, fidelity. Yeah. If you're that wife that Dr. Laura wants who has been making the man feel like everything is great and both of you think your marriage is pretty happy, um, according to a study in the Journal of Marriage and Family, still not going to help. Yeah. Um, this compared couples who define their marriage as either very happy, pretty happy, or not too happy. And uh, obviously the people who said that their marriages were not too happy were the most likely to cheat on their spouses. But surprisingly, Molly, couples who said that they were pretty happy were still twice as likely to cheat as the couples who said that they were very happy. And like all the research that we have done, um, you know, on relationships, at some point the honeymoon phase does end. Yeah, this led some researchers to wonder if we just have too high expectations of marriage. I mean, how happy is happy enough? It's not always going to be um, chocolate and flowers or whatever your, I don't know, bar is for very happy. You know, there'll be times when you have kids, when things get rough and they wonder if these couples, because they've been trained by pop culture to think, you know, that affairs are okay mm-hmm. and that constant romance is a norm that these people are throwing away what would have been, you know, just a Fairly happy marriage. Well, and to complicate matters even more, though, Molly, it's not really marital discord um, that's going to lead to your cheating heart, too, according to yet another study, 2008 study, that uh, found that half of women reported marital problems before an affair, which means the other half, you know, no big deal, whereas only a quarter of the men reported marital problems. So that's three quarters, 75% of the guys, you know, Think that everything's great. They're not too bad. Or they're not paying attention. Yeah. Maybe they don't realize they have a problem in their marriage and they really do because apparently, you know, more women than men are are thinking, yeah, this relationship's over and uh, 
time to time to find someone new. Yeah, because um, according to uh, and this is another study in the Journal of Sex Roles, men usually cite they quote saw an opportunity and took it mm-hmm. <laughs> as their reason for cheating. And women are more likely to say, oh, this relationship is already ending. I'm bored with this person. And they're more likely to, if they do take a new lover, to continue a relationship with him after uh, they end the previous relationship. So do you think then, based on this pile of studies that, that we are discussing, that this is confirming the stereotype of men cheating for sex and women cheating for love? So far, it does look like that. But things are starting to change a little bit with all this research because the rates of women committing adultery are starting to climb, sort of correlated to the uh, rise of women in the workforce. And I think that, you know, because women might have more jobs where they travel, I do think that there are more women having affairs just to have the sex mm-hmm. than maybe these numbers or these studies we've discussed so far would indicate. Yeah, and women are also kind of increasing in, in status professionally, and that is therefore making them, you know, more attractive and more alluring perhaps to other potential partners. Right. Because some people think that, you know, we mentioned Dr. Laura's uh, exception for narcissistic partners. And one theory that's been brought up is that if someone's a politician, they have to have some level of narcissism to constantly promote themselves and think that they're good enough to be voted by America to perform a task. Mm-hmm. So they're saying that some careers like politicians or like, let's say an airline pilot has to have a certain amount of confidence in himself. They're saying that some jobs will always kind of be um, magnets for adultery. And as more women maybe get into these careers, um, the apparently the infidelity magnet careers are athlete, pilot, lawyer, doctor, and anything that brings fame. What about internet podcaster and writer? I couldn't find any research on that, Kristen, but um, here's one study that does affect both of us because we are currently single. And I found one study that found that single women, all the single ladies, um, sorry, I got distracted by Beyonce there in my head. Um, but single women are likely to give married men that opportunity to cheat that is so important to them because one study that was reported in the New York Times found that women, single women are more likely to uh, mate poach. To see a married man and think, hey, give me a piece of that. Wow, mate poach. I'm just stuck on that right now. Yeah, uh, they did this study where they showed single women a picture of a man. Um, and the two groups, there were two groups. One was set, one was told uh, this man is single, ready to mingle. And one group was told this man is in a committed relationship. And it was a picture of the same man in both cases. Um, so when the single women were told that he was single, 59% of them were like, let's go. And in the group where they were told that he was committed, 90% of the single women were like, let's go. All right. I won't tell if you won't tell. So um, there's some sort of evolutionary thing, they think, where, you know, the man has proved to society that he's worth marrying and thus he is a better partner than someone who's still a lonely fish in the sea. We are tallying up all these points in favor of evolutionary biology. And I got to say, I'm not entirely comfortable with it, Molly. I don't like everything just being boiled down to women, babies, and resources. You're not the only one. Let's just, let's go evolution head on because that is sort of the next phase in terms of how they have studied cheating. Yeah. Some researchers have taken issue with the way that a lot of these cheating studies have been set up that they think skew the results in favor of sort of knee jerk evolutionary biology results. Right. And it comes down to something called forced choice. A lot of these studies will will pose a question to men and women and say, 
um, which is worse to you, sexual infidelity or emotional infidelity? And um, usually there's a big gender difference in this that men will say the sexual infidelity bothers me more and women will say the emotional infidelity bothers me more. And this makes perfect sense to evolutionary psychologists because they're like the man doesn't want to be stuck raising a kid who's not his and the woman doesn't want to have her resources threatened by another woman that the man feels strongly about. But um, like you said, these critics are questioning asking a question in a forced choice method because it might allow people to think and make rational, complex decisions mm-hmm. rather than having, like you said, a knee-jerk reaction to infidelity. Yeah, I think one of the researchers compared, he calls it the uh, the Sophie's Choice <laughs> right. method. So in order to test this hypothesis, instead of just having them, you know, just choose between, oh, emotional or sexual cheating – while they were having to answer the question, they also had these participants ha- have to remember and recall a series of numbers. So they were thinking that this would kind of jumble their thinking process so they wouldn't be able to really, you know, really go through the... They couldn't rationalize. Yes, that's the word. They found the gap closed. The gender gap closed. Right. Both sexes said that they were more disturbed by sexual infidelity. So basically, if you want to... um not have your lady think too hard, according to this study. Just have her remember numbers, and then she'll only be upset about the sex and not the emotional betrayal. Yeah. Like, hey, I cheated on you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, <laughs> <laughs> you know, help. But, I mean, these these people are trying to say that evolution probably can't account for all of it, that a knee-jerk reaction, everyone's upset if any sort of physical infidelity takes place. Yeah, and they, they've also noted that there are, like, cultural differences as well among... um you know, like American, European and Chinese men, like they'll find like different forms of cheating um, more uh, upsetting. Right. Apparently Chinese men are more upset by the emotional betrayal as opposed to the sexual one. Um, but Molly, one thing, though, that we uh, we haven't come around to. And this was the most compelling finding from this article that you wrote to me. It's a little something called sperm wars. <laughs> Let's talk about sperm wars. Because we really haven't talked that much about, you know, like women, the physical act of women cheating. Right. And, you know, like you, you're you're not fully on board with a evolutionary viewpoint. But if you do take an evolutionary viewpoint and let's say that the old stereotype about wanting an emotional connection, if that's the reason for cheating, holds up, then why would women cheat if they do have all of that that they need? Oh, our favorite Answer for everything here on Mom Stuff, Molly. Hormones. Hormones and babies. Because there was a study in, uh, appropriately enough, hormones and behavior that shows that women tend to cheat at the most fertile part of their menstrual cycle, even if they're not trying to get pregnant. And the men they cheat with are men who are more attractive than their spouse. Even if the spouse represents everything you would really want in a father in terms of being emotionally stable, financially stable, and so forth. If you find a man that you deem more attractive, these researchers are saying that some evolutionary urge will kick in and tell you that good genes come from handsome men. And you therefore wage a sperm war. And you cheat. So you cheat to get these good looking genes. And if you're in your most fertile part of your cycle, then let's say, you know, and you have sex with several men. Best sperm wins. So according to these researchers, women are waging these so-called sperm wars in order to get the most genetic bang for her buck because she has to carry around a baby for nine months. Right. She's always going to be looking for the best deal. Now, men, men are not going to want to, evolutionary speaking, 
want to raise children that aren't their own because mm-hmm. they've got resources to give and they've only got so much to give. Yes. So they want to foil the sperm wars. And researchers at Florida Atlantic University have been studying how a man in a relationship can foil foil his partner's sperm wars. Yeah, and they think that um, there is it does have a, a woman who has been separated from a man who has possibly had sex with someone else. Uh, this does have some kind of effect on her on her partner because they have noticed that if a couple's been separated for a long time, regardless of whether or not he knows if she has um, had sex with someone else. The next but if she's had the opportunity. If she's had the opportunity. The next time that couple has intercourse, the man will produce more sperm, Mm -hmm. which therefore gives him better odds of impregnating his partner. Right. And it's possible that the actual act of sex itself, once a couple has been separated or if there have been allegations of infidelity, can foil sperm wars. Because there's thinking that some sex positions allow the man to pull sperm from the woman's vagina. Yeah, so they think that subconsciously women are waging sperm wars and men are fighting back by producing more sperm and using certain positions. Okay. That's why some people don't like evolutionary psychology. Yeah, but that's research. That's why you're expressing discomfort about I'd it. I'd like to read that grant proposal for, for <laughs> sperm wars. Um, I'd really like to read that screenplay. <laughs> Um, but if you want to know more about any of these studies, just head on over to How Stuff Works. Um, I wrote an article called Do Men and Women Cheat for Different Reasons? And all of those studies are cited there. So if you want to read more about any of those, that would be the place to do it. Yes. But I have to say it was probably the most depressing article I've ever written, like I said. And I'm, I'm glad it's done. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a problematic question because there are there has to be more to cheating sometimes than just, you know, men being sexual opportunists and women looking for soulmates. It's kind of sad that a lot of the research sort of boils it down to that, but but that's why we have listeners to write in and share their own experiences. Yes, please share your thoughts because, like you, Molly, I am a little a uh, little troubled by the sum of all these studies. So, speaking of which, let's turn to our wonderful listeners for a little bit of email. Some levity in the midst of all this dark sadness. Yeah, let's go from adultery to Disney princesses. <laughs> What if there had been a Disney princess that had committed adultery? Ruh-roh. That would have thrown a wrench into things. So, you want to start? Sure. I've got an email here from Kate, and she says that Cinderella is her least favorite of all princess movies. Prince Charming has four lines in the entire movie, and he has no distinct facial features. It always seems to me that it was the worst example of a prince. Even as a child, I was confused as to why any princess with great wardrobe and a magic couch would waste her time on a man with no voice, no personality, and who takes no initiative in finding her. I've always felt that simply by choosing such a bland and boring individual, Cinderella immediately dropped to the bottom of all princesses. She instead prefers movies that combine strong women, a man with a strong personality, and villains capable of being dangerous. Which is why Sleeping Beauty is the greatest of all Disney movies. Aurora is great, Philip has pizzazz, and Maleficent is scary as heck. It also has a fight with an enormous fire-breathing dragon, not to mention amazing art. Truly the greatest of all things. So thank you, Kate. Now, Abby has a little bit of a different take on Prince Philip from Sleeping Beauty. She writes, I received a copy of Sleeping Beauty for my 16th birthday and was surprised to watch it at that stage in my life and realized then how small a role in the film the prince actually has. This is something that has stuck with me, and whenever my friends and I get on the subject of Disney movies, I tend to comment on how Prince Philip is really quite useless. He's just there to kiss the princess to wake her up and actually does very little else. Even during the end battle against Maleficent, 
is actually the fairy godmother who do most of the work in chaining the baddie's weapons or charming the sword so it finds her heart. So the true moral I've decided is the people you should count on the most are the ones who have raised you and taken care of you since you were a baby. Taken from this angle, Sleeping Beauty is a very positive story. Sure, it's nice to have a man in your life who will kiss you so you wake up, but it's also important to have strong women who will always have your back. All right. So that's from Abby. Yeah, so guys, if you have any thoughts about cheating hearts or whatever else is on your mind, you should send me and Molly an email at momstuff at howstuffworks.com. And as always, during the week, you should check out our blog, How To Stuff, and look out for those Adele and Draper references. Give yourself, yeah, yeah. give yourself points when you find them. Yes. We do. <laughs> and uh, if you, again, want to read Molly's excellent article, Do Men and Women Cheat for Different Reasons, where you can find all of the study references that we have mentioned, because there were a lot of them, you should head on over to HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? In this time of pandemic and revolution, do you find yourself frustrated at high levels of corruption and inequality, at our inability to get basic things done, at the persistence of systemic racism? You're not alone. I'm Baratunde Thurston, author, activist, and comedian. Our democratic experiment is at a tipping point, but which way we tip is up to us. Listen to How to Citizen with Baratunde on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Gold Club was the top strip club in Atlanta in the 1990s, with patrons like Dennis Rodman, Michael Jordan, Madonna, the King of Sweden. But in 2001, the club was put on trial with charges of prostitution, extortion, credit card fraud, racketeering, and an affiliation with the mob. I'm journalist Christina Lee, and I'll be taking you behind the scenes of the Gold Club scandal, from the booty and bubbly to the deceit and courtroom drama. Listen to Racket Inside the Gold Club on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.